that the Lord will just watch over us, whether you're on the road or wherever you might be uh, during this time. As you know, we've been looking through the book of Romans for a number of months and, and really, you know, uh, looking at the things that have been taking place at the church at Rome and trying to put it into context, yet at the same time relate the things that are happening at Rome to the things that are, you know, to our lives. I mean, to me, that's one of the great challenges in, in, in preaching and one of the pleasures of preaching is to take things that Paul was trying or, or whoever the writer might be that was he was trying to teach the 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 people that he was writing to yet put it in context for us today because one thing that uh, that I find uh, it's kind of like we were talking about the other night talking about uh, training up children uh, there's one thing that I know it doesn't matter whether it's the children that uh, that are my grandchildren or those that might be among the congregation uh, children have a tendency to uh, not want to share things with one another when they're little uh, and I'll, I'll just uh, be willing to uh, uh, imagine and think that that has not just happened in the last few years uh, probably been that way forever well human nature is the same uh, and has been down through the years because we're sin cursed creatures and so the things that were being faced at the church at Rome sometimes are some of the very things that we're facing here uh, among our congregation and so the admonition that Paul is writing even though there were cultural differences between Jews and Gentiles here at Rome uh, we have cultural differences too uh, and, uh, and, and it could be even more so uh, than what it is but we, we come from different backgrounds, different raisings, uh, different traditions uh, among our congregation here and among the people that might be listening to us today. So uh, Paul is reminding this church here at Rome uh, to be together. Uh, part of the message here in the 15th chapter is for them to be like-minded. Uh, and regardless of what's, what might be going on, uh, we can have this <clears throat> the, the same mind and the same attitude together if we're worshiping together. Uh, and our mind is focused on the things of Christ. Let this mind be in you. Uh, as, as mentioned this morning uh, from the, uh, the book of Philippians in chapter 2. Uh, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, uh, who didn't think it was a robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation and humbled himself as a man while he was here in this old world. That's one of our challenges today is to not try to uh, exalt ourselves it doesn't matter whether you're the preacher or somebody else in the congregation uh, the, the apostle Paul said in another place I believe here in this same book of Romans uh, that we shouldn't think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think but think soberly uh, and righteously about who we are uh, that's important for all of us as we're going through life. If we want to be self-examining, if you will, and constantly evaluating ourselves, we gotta be, we've got to be soberly thinking about who we are and what our sins are and who we are as we try to serve our Lord. And so, uh, as many of you know, we mentioned last week the Apostle Paul writing here in this 15th chapter, we're going to look Read, read back quickly through some of the things that were there in the first part of the 15th chapter uh, because we got down to about verse 12 or 13 last week and we want to pick up there with that but, but to make sure we keep it in the proper frame and the proper uh, uh, attitude you'd have to link 14 and 15 together there were those there in four, uh, in, at the church at Rome that were still trying 
to uh, to exalt themselves, if you will, or to think, well, maybe I'm better than somebody else because I keep the law. And so as he mentioned in chapter 14, there were those that were still observing Sabbath days. There were those that were still eating vegetarian diets, trying to follow strict dietary uh, customs of the law and so forth. And, and the bottom line was Paul told them, he says, you know, uh, he, he first of all he said those who are trying to do such things are actually weak in the faith they think it's about what they do and by following after a strict set of rules and so forth that makes them more acceptable to God than other people and he said you know uh, but he says these are actually the weak, the weak in faith but at the same time he said for the rest of you he said don't go around trying to correct them uh, there's things that we ought to have liberality in and that we ought to be uh, uh, patient in, if you will, and uh, and overlook, if you will, and think about there's some things that don't matter as much as others uh, as if we keep our mind focused on the things of Christ. And I tried to relate that, uh, you know, in modern day times, there's things that we shouldn't get so bent out of shape about uh, here in the church, among among our membership, things that might be this group might do, or this family might do, or so so forth. But to remember that there's a time for us to be uh, uh, patient, overlooking, and 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 trusting in God, uh, because those things are not as important as others. Keeping certain dietary rules or not, or or, or or other things that we might could think of this morning. So when Paul gets to the 15th chapter, he said he also admonishes. While there might be those that are weak in the faith, he also addresses those that might think they're strong in the faith. And he says, we then that are strong, we've got a job too. We're to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. We're to be servants one of another here in the church, trying to help one another as much as we can because... You know what? We're all one uh, one family trying to labor together to serve God, and we need each other. Uh, part of the whole lesson, if we went back over to the 13th chapter, uh, not 13th, uh, uh, actually 12th chapter of the book of Romans, is how we all have different members, and we're different parts of the same body, uh, yet we all have different callings that God has placed upon our lives. And, and, and in all of that, we need each other. I'm not you, and you're not me, and you don't have my gift, and I don't have your gift, baby. Uh, but we all need each other to serve the Lord here together uh, and, and to help get, get our way through this old world that we're living in. Uh, when we think about all the pressure, uh, you think about that verse that the Apostle Paul, and I know I'm kind of going back a little bit, but uh, you think about all the pressure that's on us today. The Apostle Paul made that uh, phrase in the 12th chapter of the book of Romans, be not conformed. To this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Think about us today, how much pressure it is on everybody, and I'm talking about everyone here, and especially as I look out there on you that are still in the work world or the school world out there today, uh, there's a lot of pressure on you to be conformed to the world and the way the world thinks about things. Uh, and he says, uh, don't be conformed to the world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable will of God. So, you know, we have to constantly be working 
and, and Brother Derek was mentioning this morning Bible study about reading more in the Bible. You know how your mind is going to be more transformed to godly thinking? You've got to have your mind in the book. <laughs> and you've got to have yourself, a, uh, you know, you've got to avail yourself of the preaching of God's Word and, and pray that the, the preacher is not up here preaching uh, himself or preaching a worldly doctrine, but actually preaching the Word of God to you and instructing and teaching you so that your life can be more uh, transformed to godly thinking than being conformed to worldly thinking. So as Paul gets here to this 15th chapter, he says the strong, those that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. So he's he's telling us the mindset to have. Uh, it's it, Our mindset is that we ought to be trying to please one another and, and edify each other here in this life. And it's not all about me. <laughs> uh, if... Uh, uh, me and uh, uh, mentioned the other night we had some visitors that came through uh, uh, and, and spent the night with us on the way to Arkansas uh, because of a family uh, funeral and death. And so uh, we were sitting there talking, and I, I told him it, 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 I've had had occasion in recent days to think about this. I want you to think about this too, and not not in relation to me. I'm going to use my numbers, but think about your numbers, okay? And begin to think about some things. Along those lines, I told him, I said, you know, I have been uh, this last July, I have been ordained into the ministry uh, for 30 years. I said, during that 30 years, I said, I have probably preached at least once and, and many times more than that uh, during the course of each week that has passed in that last 30 years. Uh, and we just used as an example when we'd gone up to camp in the summer, uh, the fact that uh, there would be five sermons preached there during those five days of the of the camp. You figure that over 20-something years, there's been a 100-something sermons taught uh, at, the time, at, at the singing school camp in the summertime. Uh, and then you multiply that out times your life, okay? 30, 30 years ordained in the ministry, not including the years that I preached and taught before that, uh, and you, and you come up with something like uh, 1,500 plus hours of sermons that have been preached, uh, uh, much less all the time of study, reading, preparation, thinking, and other things that went into all of that. And so the, the, the time begins to think, you know, the Bible talks about, you know, we're to be servants one of another and that we're to lay our lives down for each other. That's that was the mark that Jesus Christ had. He laid his the mark of the good shepherd was and he was the good shepherd. <laughs> he was the good shepherd was the fact that he laid down his life for the sheep. Uh, and I told him I said I'm nowhere near. I, I, you know, I'm nowhere near a good shepherd. I have not I'm not anything like Jesus Christ in so many ways. Uh, but when you think about how many hours I have laid down out of my life uh, for the service of God, for the preaching of His Word, for the study of His Word. And so you examine yourselves. You know, we, we come here and we, we spend an hour on Sunday morning. Begin to think about tallying up the hours that you've laid aside. Uh, uh, when I begin to think about all the hours, I said, wow, you know, back in the day when I was working a job, I think, and you can go figure this up. Anyway, there's something like 2,020 hours in, in the course of a uh, year 
uh, if you're working eight hours a day, 52 weeks out of the year, blah, 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 you know, uh, for, and so forth, it's something like 2,000 hours in the course of a year. And I was like, wow, you know, the amount of preaching time I spent almost adds up to a work year, you know, and uh, uh, kind of thinking like that. And, you, and, you know, you start thinking about stuff like it. So I never really stop and think about and frame life that way a lot of times. But we ought to stop and think about how much time am I spending sacrificing and serving God and couldn't I do much more? Okay, and, uh, and so he tells us here, let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it was written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. Christ didn't come here. Uh, you think about what he endured on the cross. Uh, he, didn't go, he didn't go to the cross uh, some 2,000 years ago to, to particularly, and, and I know that it was pleasing to God to do what the Heavenly Father wanted him to do. But if you think about self-pleasing, he wasn't just pleasing self when he went to the cross. The reproaches that you deserved and that I deserved fell on him. The stripes that fell on him. And, and you know, we think about a lot of times about the beating that Christ took by the at the hands of the Romans, at the hand of the Jewish brethren of that day, and think, wow, what a physical beating he took. But I'm here to tell you today... The, the beating he took the night before he went to the cross is, no, and the, you think about having nails driven in your hands and in your feet and hanging on a cross and struggling to breathe, yet all of that physical pain and labor is nothing in comparison uh, to having the wrath of God and God turn his back on you and leave you totally alone like he did that day with Christ on the cross and our punishment that we deserved uh, of being in hell was poured out on him. The reproaches that you and I deserved, uh, uh, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. The, 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 uh, as we come here on Sunday morning and we preach the, the word of God, and go through Scripture and look at Scripture. Scripture has a purpose for us. What is that? That we might, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, have hope. Hope is so important to you and me. Do you know when people lose all hope in life? You know, uh, a lot of times, isn't that what they talk about? And you think about the things that uh, that have struck so many of the uh, uh, people that in, that we know in recent months uh, with this COVID virus. Uh, uh, yes, physically there are a lot of things that happen that makes the COVID virus bad. And I'm not I'm not a doctor or nurse or anything else, but you hear about how it as time gets on, it gets into your lungs and it begins to release more and more and causes uh, fluid and blood and so forth uh, to almost drown people out. And the reason they get pneumonia uh, is because of the way that virus works a lot of times on their lungs and yet other people get the virus and all they do is they lose their taste and they lose their smell and you know but it's so multifaceted the way the thing works uh, but any patient it doesn't matter if we have if you're a cancer patient or what it might be uh, or a diabetic or some other problem that you might have in your life the worst thing that can happen to somebody that gets sick is to lose hope that they're going to recover and I'll tell you, today, the Bible tells us that you and I living here in this old world, one of the purposes of Scripture, one of the purposes of the preaching of God's Word is that, one, you might have comfort, and number two, that you might learn patience while you're living here, and that that patience might give you 
hope that this one thing, that this world is not all that there is. And so he says, now God, now the God of patience and consolation grants you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. Uh, the only way you and I are going to be like-minded is in Him. Uh, is, is our thinking to be transformed to his type of thinking, scriptural thinking, and that would, that would then carry us to want to be more compassionate, more loving, more forgiving, more patient while we're living here in this world. And he says, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, wherefore receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now, I say that Christ, that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers. And we went over this last week, and I'm not going to reread the verses from the Old Testament scriptures of Psalms and Deuteronomy and so forth that are quoted here by the Apostle Paul. But Paul makes the point to this diverse congregation at Rome that one of the things that God had been telling uh, the children of Israel through scriptures all those years was that God had a people among the Gentiles also. And that as, as Jesus Christ came here, he was a minister to the circumcision. He was to minister to the Jewish people that, uh, that were in Israel and around Jerusalem and Galilee and all those areas. But part of what he was ministering to them was also the fulfilling of the promises of God that God had a people among every kindred, nation, tongue, and tribe on the face of the earth. And he says that the Gentiles also, <clears throat> that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. And so he begins to go through four different scriptures here that are written in the Old Testament of how God had told the Old Testament Jews that I'm one of these days the Gentiles are going to hear and glorify God and, and, uh, and, and praise Him just like you are. And he says, For it is written, For this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. And again he saith, Rejoice ye Gentiles uh, with his people. Uh, and again, Praise the Lord all ye Gentiles uh, and laud him all ye people. Uh, and again, Isaiah uh, saith, There shall be a root of Jesse and he shall rise up to reign over the Gentiles in him shall the Gentiles trust. And we made the point that in some of the places in these Old Testament scriptures, uh, the word used in the Old Testament is heathen. Uh, and in other places it talks about the nations. Uh, but Paul comes around and, and gives us the New Testament interpretation of this, uh, if you will, and clarity on it. Uh, uh, through the Holy Spirit, he tells us this is the Gentiles that, uh, that are going to come and glorify God uh, and they're going to trust in him. And he says, now the God of hope. I want you to hear this description of this God that we worship. Uh, God is not only a God, as he mentioned uh, earlier in these uh, in these scriptures, uh, uh, that he's a God of patience uh, but he, and consolation, but he's also the God of hope. Uh, he says, now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Hope sounds like it's pretty important to me. And that hope comes from believing. Uh, he says, now the God of hope fill you with what? 
joy and peace. I'm telling you this morning, uh, when I look out on God's people this morning, uh, and whether you're here or you're listening somewhere, uh, one of the things that we ought to examine ourselves about, and you think about this, uh, you know, I've already mentioned in, in, in uh, Romans 12, he says uh, that we ought to examine ourselves, uh, that we should not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. And uh, here he says, now the God of hope do what? Fill you with joy and peace in believing. Uh, I'm here to tell you this morning, I'm not here to preach you a scared-to-death doctrine, okay? I'm not here trying to scare you about the second coming of Christ. I'm not here to try to scare you about life in general. Uh, I'm here to try to exhort you and instruct you that you might have joy and peace in believing. Now, uh, the Bible talks about uh, God's people having a peace uh, that passeth all understanding. Uh, that uh, God's word ought to give you a peace and a joy. And and if and if we're missing, that, and I guess that's what I was thinking about, is uh, if you're not having, if you're not experiencing joy to some extent, I know the world drives us down, okay? I understand that. I know the world tries to rob you of your joy and your uh, and and the blessings of life, but if you're not having joy and peace in your life through believing, then you've missed one of the points of believing. <laughs> believing in Jesus Christ and believing what the Scriptures teaches us ought to give you a joy and a peace. We were we were talking uh, this this week, you know, and several as as many of you know, uh, many people are, have experienced a loss of family members. I'm looking at people here that have lost family members over the last number of, of weeks, months, or years uh, in in their lives. And, and, and we're talking about for the children of God, one of the things that you and I ought to have above everything else is there ought to be a peace about us when we see have one of our loved ones pass on to glory. That there ought to be, I know there's a time for, for sorrow, but you know what, uh, and, and we'll use this same word that's used here, the, talking about the God of hope. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, he, te he tells us over there, sorrow not as those which what? Have no hope. Uh, so he, he doesn't say not to sorrow. He said, but don't sorrow like those that don't realize what the result of death is. Uh, one of the things that I, I mentioned back several years ago, and I think I preached some sermons here on that at the time, was the fact that God's people ought to handle death better than anybody else in this world. Why? Because we have a hope that goes beyond this life. We have a reason uh, to look at that. And while the situation sometimes can be tragic, uh, the circumstances of death can be difficult or tragic for us to endure uh, when we think about different ages of people sometimes in our lives that pass on. It can be very hurtful and very sorrowful. But even in that sorrow, he says, don't sorrow as those that have no hope. The God of hope, he says, now the God of hope will fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope, uh, through the power of the Holy Ghost. And, and I just want us to get that picture. You and I, that word abound means overflowing beyond the limit. So if you think about, if you think about uh, filling a water glass, uh, and when, you, when that water glass runs over, uh, kind of like the, uh, the psalmist David talking about my cup runneth over, uh, 
surely mercy and goodness will follow me all the days of my life. Think about it. He says we ought to abound in hope. There ought to be almost more hope than we can lay hold on. <laughs> uh, so he says uh, uh, that you may abound in that you may. Uh, now the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. And I myself am also persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye are also full of goodness and filled with all knowledge, able to admonish one another. You know, and I, and I was reminded of a case not too long ago. I was talking to my, to my cousin, uh, who, is a, who is a circuit judge, and he was telling me that in the area where he is a judge, uh, that he had recently had to settle uh, that a church basically had ended up dissolving uh, down there in that area because uh, the church members and and so forth uh, ended up having to having to take control back from the pastor of the church who had gotten so greedy, I guess, for money that he sued the church and went to court uh, with the church. Yeah, I mean, you know, that just almost mind boggles you, right, to think about such stuff as that going on. And you think about what the Apostle Paul taught into the church at Corinth. He said, uh, you know, we shouldn't be going to the law, talking about the external, uh, uh, for, for legal matters. We ought to be able to settle those things among ourselves here in the church. And in fact, he said, the weakest brother in the church ought to be able to give advice uh, to those in, in circumstances like that. And so think about what Paul is saying. I tie that back to this, this portion of scripture here. He says, I myself am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye are full of goodness. Why? Not because you're so good, but because Christ is in you. Uh, the Holy Spirit is in you. Uh, he says, I'm persuaded that you're full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to admonish one another. We ought to be able to give counsel, counsel to one another and admonish one another. And you know what the, one of the hardest things about admonishment is? Receiving it. <laughs> you, know, uh, you, know, you know, I don't mind, you know, there are people that are, I don't mind telling so-and-so just how I feel about the situation. But yeah, but let somebody tell them about something they see in them that they need to correct. And all of us ought to be able to, to admonish one another and we ought to be able to receive admonishment because we're full of goodness and knowledge that comes from him. So he tells us here that we ought to be able to do that. Nevertheless, brethren, I, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort as putting you in mind because of the grace that's given unto me of God that I should be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. Ministering the gospel of God and the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. Now the Apostle Paul begins to make reference here to the fact that God had called him to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Uh, and here he is writing to this church at Rome, uh, which in some sense, you know, you would think is a Gentile church. The fact that it's in Rome, it's not in Israel, it's not in Jerusalem. But we, as we've talked about, it's filled with both Jewish and Gentile believers. Yet Paul is writing here to these people and saying, you know what? I'm admonishing both of you. I'm admonishing both groups. I'm reminding you that you need to be unified together in one body uh, around the doctrines of Jesus Christ and around the hope that you have through God's word uh, and that you ought to be able to admonish one another uh, in these things and help one another and strengthen one another. And that's for us today too. We ought to be able to help one another. You know, today people... <laughs> 
People seem to get their feelings hurt so much, you know, about you try to come up and give somebody a little bit of advice. <laughs> right? I mean, you know, the pastor tries to come up and give somebody some advice. And people get their feelings hurt about, about that. You know, and I'm not saying the pastor can't be wrong in his advice. Maybe you come up to give the pastor advice. You see something he needs to be doing differently, and he gets his feelings hurt. We ought to be able to admonish one another and realize that we're trying to help one another through this old struggling world that we can continue to be with patience and comfort of the Scriptures have hope that this world is not all there is as we're, as we're living here. Now Paul goes on and says that, uh, that he should be a minister. If you think about earlier, I thought this was kind of interesting. In the early portion of this same chapter, Paul tells them that Jesus Christ came to be a minister to the circumcision. But he goes on and tells them here that I, Paul, should be a minister of Jesus Christ uh, uh, to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God. It's the gospel of God. <laughs> a lot of times we get to the gospel of Paul or the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel of God. <laughs> That's what we ought to be ministering to one another uh, while we live here. And Paul was doing that, that the offerings of the Gentiles might be acceptable. Uh, you think about uh, uh, they didn't have, they didn't have uh, uh, the, uh, the animal sacrifices uh, that the Jews had made during their day. But he's already told them, what? Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And so he's told them that back in, back in 12. And he says, you know what your offering is here, church? Present your bodies. Let your body be a living sacrifice to God. Let, let your life be sacrificially lived to God by how you serve one another, how you serve your neighbors, how you serve your friends, how you lay down your life for one another. Paul goes on and begins to tell them here about him being apostle to the Gentiles and how uh, you know he doesn't want to, and we'll, we'll read this verse by verse, but how he doesn't want to take credit for what God has done, but at the same time he, he kind of mentions like, but the gospel has been spread from Jerusalem all the way up through Greece and Turkey because Paul had gone and preached not where other people had preached, but where nobody had ever preached before. And because of that, the gospel of God was spread. And Paul wasn't telling them that to brag on, on him, but to brag on what God had done through him. And how, and, and I'll say this, how, and Paul is kind of beginning to teach them too, Paul had laid down his life Paul had, Paul had been a, a, a Jewish leader among the Pharisees, an exalted member of the, of the council there in Jerusalem, uh, and was on his way to, to Damascus to round up Christians when God stopped him <laughs> one day. God stopped him on that road, uh, blinded his eyes, and sent him to a preacher uh, uh, up in Damascus uh, uh, that that preacher might tell him further and confirm to him what God had just done for him on that road to Damascus, born him of the Spirit of God, uh, and set him out to be an apostle. And, he, and in sending out Paul to be an apostle there that day, and you can go back and read that there in the ninth chapter of the book of Acts, uh, you can read what, what God told him there that day. He told Paul, I'm going to show you what great things you must suffer for my name's sake. 
I've said this jokingly here on other occasions, but I'll say it again this morning. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine Brother Allen is asking, has asked us on occasions recently. He's trying to, in a very difficult unemployment situation, he's trying to get a job. Uh, but can you imagine somebody coming to him and the job offer is, uh, I, I've got a job for you. I want, I'm going to show you what great things you must suffer for me. <laughs> so, well, boy, I think I want to sign up for that job. Uh, well, but Paul, Paul wasn't just signing up for a job. God called him to that job. God called him to that service. And you can uh, look at the life of Paul. And Paul had, uh, I, I, it's, kind of, it's kind of like I've told you here in my experience, I think in being a minister over the last 30 years, Paul had some of the greatest joys that could ever be imagined. Being, and yet on other occasions, he was, he was stripped and beaten and thrown out of town. He was, uh, he was stoned on one occasion. He was shipwrecked and in the deep a day and a, a day and a night. All of those things he suffered for the name of Christ Jesus and for the preaching of the gospel of God. And, and yet at the same time, uh, in, in his latter days, being on, in house arrest uh, there in Rome, he's writing a letter to the Philippians and to Timothy and other people, encouraging them, uh, don't be afraid, Timothy. Uh, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That's what Paul is writing to the young preacher Timothy while he's under arrest leading up to eventually his death. And he's writing to churches, don't be afraid, don't be fearful. He's writing to the he writes to the church at Rome here, uh, telling them uh, this, uh, that the scriptures that the God of hope he says fill you with all joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope. And he goes on and tells them that I should be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. Now you think about this, and I don't know that I had thought about this fully, uh, but what was the purpose of Paul teaching the Gentiles about the things of God and about the service of God and all the things that he's written to them here in the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans? What was the purpose of that? They were saved by the grace of God and by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And Paul even testifies in the first few chapters that there were those Gentiles who evidenced the laws written in their heart before the gospel ever got to them, okay? They were showing the love of neighbor, the care of friends without, uh, without the coming of the gospel. But you know why, the, why Paul wanted to preach the gospel? That their offerings might be acceptable to God. It's, you know, isn't it great to just know that in our minds on, on, one, on one thing, God has done a work in our hearts, but I want my work back toward God to be acceptable to Him. And the only way my work toward Him can be acceptable is I've got to understand what God wants. <laughs> I need to understand what God wants out of me. And God wants me to love, to love my neighbor as myself and to be a servant and be self-sacrificing and to love Him and to show my love for Him by following after Him. Now, he says, so Paul says, uh, I'm a minister to the Gentiles. Uh, uh, he said that I should be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being, and they're, 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 uh, that their sacrifice might be their offering up 
might be acceptable. That's the word you use. Well, what offering did the Gentiles have to make? We're not talking about laying money on the table, I don't think. We're talking about the offering up of themselves. The way that the offering up of themselves was acceptable was by Paul's teaching them, here's how you do it, guys. Here's how you serve God and that it might be sanctified by the Holy Ghost. I therefore, where I have therefore whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. Paul says, my glory and if I glory is in what I've taught other people about what God has done for them and what they ought to be doing for God and their service to Him. If I've got whereof to glory, that's what it is, he says. He says, for I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by, the, by word and by deed. I'm not going to try to take credit for what God has done for them. But, and uh, I'm not going to try to preach what I, that, that, well, look at what all I've done. You know, uh, today, there are a lot of people that try to preach, well, look at what all I've done for the, for the service of God. Well, Paul says, I'm not going to talk about what God has done for them that I didn't do. Uh, so he says, uh, <clears throat> For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make, to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. There were things that Christ wrought himself uh, that, that brought about their obedience and their love of God, the writing of the laws in their hearts and minds. Paul didn't work that. And he says, I'm not going to dare to speak of those things that I did not do. Through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to Elysium, I struggled with that two or three times, Illyricum, he says, I have come to preach the gospel of Christ. So Paul's range of preaching ranged from Jerusalem. I mean, you could go forward and look, you know, as, a, as my friend, Brother Eric Walker, likes to say, he, he says, uh, the most misread book in the Bible is the last book of the Bible. And people say, he's talking about Revelation. He says, no, the book of maps. He says, you need to get the book of maps out sometime and look at it and see where all these things were taking place on the map. And, and if you look at the map, you'll see that Antioch is up there in the area of northern in, in Syria. And you'll see where Ephesus is and where Thessalonica is and where Colossae is and where Corinth was located and where Rome was located. And you'll start, and, it, and your eyes may begin to get big uh, and, uh, and think about, look at all the ground Paul covered to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wow. And uh, so he says, uh, so that I go forth from Jerusalem and I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Yea, uh, so have I strived to preach the gospel not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation, but as it is written, to whom he, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand. So again, it was, God had already written this, that there, there was going to come a time when those who had not seen and not heard before were going to understand the things of God. And Paul says, I've probably played some role in that because I've gone to places where nobody else had been before. For he says, For which cause also I have been much hindered from coming 
to you. So he'd already told them, it's kind of interesting, when you, with this one verse right here, verse 22, for he says, for which cause I have been much hindered from coming to you. Do you remember what he said in the first chapter? He says, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are Rome also. But he's been hindered by trying to serve all these churches and labor among these churches from Jerusalem up to Illyricum and all these places that are in, bet in between. And he says, but now having no more place in these parts, God's lifted the burden off of him to continue to try to preach in those churches of that area of Turkey and Asia Minor, Greece and so forth. And he says, but now having no more place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you, whensoever I take my journey into Spain. Now Paul is beginning to prep them and I think this is kind of interesting here. Paul is letting them know, yeah, I want to come preach to you at Rome, but you know where else I want to go? I want to go to Spain also and preach the gospel. And, and it's interesting here how he, in a way, beseeches their help in this effort. Uh, and you think about, uh, you know, how God, Paul, Paul's like you and me, and he will get to this here in, in a moment. Uh, but Paul, in preaching of the gospel, Paul was dependent upon the church to help support him and, and work for him. And it's not, I think I mentioned this last Sunday, it's not that Paul wasn't willing. Paul was a tent maker and Paul was willing to work with his own hands. And we read in Acts where he often worked together with other people so that he might earn things that needed to be earned to help him uh, have food, food to eat, and maybe food for his journey uh, and abilities to make his journey. But the church is also donated to him and he brings that out in a very interesting way here in this portion of the 15th chapter. Uh, so he says, that I, that I may take my journey. Now he says, having no more place, verse 23, in these parts, and having a great desire these many years to come unto you, whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you. For I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way thitherward by you. I'm going to be brought on my journey by you if, if first I be somewhat filled with your company. But now I go to Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. And, uh, and, and I, there's some things that are said here that are very interesting. He says, For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make certain contributions for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. Part of what Paul has been addressing in this letter to the church at Rome for 15 chapters is the fact that there's a, there's a rub between Jew and Gentile here at Rome. And Paul has been laboring to bring them back to Christ and to, to get over the fact that the, some of them thought the law was so important that they need to drag the law service into the New Testament worship service. Paul's trying to, trying to bring them back to unify these Jewish and Gentile people here at the church at Rome. And so what does he do here in 15? He says, I desire now to go to Jerusalem because the churches of Macedonia and Achaia Gentile churches had a desire to give to Jerusalem and help the churches of the church at Jerusalem out in their time of need. Now you've got to understand, and we maybe mentioned this in times past, but you've got to think about the, the people in Jerusalem that were worshiping Christ. No different from uh, many, uh, many Jewish believers even today that are cast out of their families because they began to follow and worship 
after Jesus Christ the Messiah, uh, they're cast away from their Jewish culture and their Jewish family a lot of times for those very reasons. And the, the Jews at, the, at Jerusalem were suffering that. They had been cast out from their Jewish families, from maybe from their businesses, from their uh, family service, and many times their mode of making a living. Uh, and being able to sell goods and buy goods and so forth had been hurt because of their devotion to following after Jesus Christ and the New Testament church. And so they were suffering there. Th this time frame is prior to the Roman army coming in and laying siege to Jerusalem and all those things. Uh, they were suffering because of their following after Christ. And so the churches in Macedonia and Achaia, Gentile churches, had decided to make contribution to the poor saints in Jerusalem. It had pleased them, verse 27, Verily, and their, and, and their debtors they are, for if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. What is Paul saying? He's saying the church came out of Jerusalem. Uh, I came out of Jerusalem. Jesus Christ came out of Jerusalem. And because of that, these Gentile churches had been blessed spiritually. And he said because they had been blessed spiritually, then he said they thought it proper that if their spiritual gifts in a sense had come from Jerusalem, that they also now take of the carnal things they had food, money, whatever it might be, uh, gifts of some kind that they might go back and give to the people of Jerusalem to help take care of their physical needs at this time. And you think about this, Paul is not writing uh, some, uh, some new message here uh, to, this, to this church. In the ninth chapter of the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, and I want you to hear this, Paul uses the same argument, if you will, for the support of the ministry in the churches that he used here for the reasoning of why why the church, the churches of Macedonia and Achaia were were giving to the church at Jerusalem they were giving it to them because they felt they had been blessed spiritually by by the things that had flow, flowed out of Jerusalem to them so now they were giving of their carnal things back to Jerusalem here in 1 Corinthians 9 Paul says this am I am I not an apostle I'm diving into the middle of a letter, so of course I'm diving into the middle of a thought here uh, that he has. But he says, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are not ye my work in the Lord, church at Corinth? And he says, if, if I be not an apostle unto others, yea, doubtless I am, I am to you. For the seal of mine apostleship are ye in the Lord. Wow, what a... What a great expression of his love for them. Mine answer to them that do examine me is this. Have we not power to eat and to drink? He's asking a question. Have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as other apostles, as the brethren of the Lord and Cephas? Or, 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 or I only and Barnabas have not we power to forbear working? He's asking them a series of questions. Hasn't God given me the power to lead brothers and sisters in the Lord? Has not, has not, have not Barnabas and I, have, has God not given us the power to forbear working? And uh, in other words, there's something else that they should be doing more important than laboring with their hands. He says, who goeth to warfare any time at his own charges? Who planteth a vineyard and eateth not of the fruit thereof? Or who feedeth the flock and eateth not the milk of the flock? 
Who plants a garden doesn't eat of the garden? Who doesn't have a, a livestock and doesn't partake of the meat? Who doesn't have a cow that doesn't drink the, the milk from the cow? And so forth. And he says, Say I these things as a man, or say not the law the same also. For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn, doth not God take care of the oxen? So he, he's going back to the Old Testament now and says, you know what? The ox gets out there and labors in the field. You know what you do? You take the fruit of the field and you let the, you let the ox eat of it. That's what you do. And he says the ox works. You feed him from, from a portion of what he worked in. And he says, or saith he all it all together for our sakes, our sakes, for our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope. <laughs> there's, that, there's that word again. Uh, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and he that uh, thresheth in hope should partake of his hope. For if we have sown to you, verse 11, if we have sown to you spiritual things, is it a great thing that we shall reap your carnal things? Paul just used all these examples of a person planting a garden and eating of the garden, of taking care of the livestock and eating the milk, of not muzzling the ox that treads out the corn. All of these things has he written. He says the person that, uh, that plants, he plants in hope. He plants in hope of what? That it's going to come up. He says the guy that's out there threshing in the field and working in the wheat, he's, uh, he's threshing in hope that he should be a partaker of that that he's threshing out there in the field. He says, and if we have sown to you spiritual things, is it any great matter that we should reap of you your carnal things? That's, the, that's one of the New Testament examples of giving. New Testament giving. That, uh, that uh, if, you've been, if you've been blessed by the spiritual things that God has given the minister or the pastor, we're to give of our carnal things, and that's not just you. I'm to give of my carnal things because I'm blessed of God. And this is for the support of the church and the work of the church. How can the church work in the community and do things in the community if they don't have the funds to do things? So it's not just about paying the power bill. It's not just about, you know, painting the building or adding on to the lunchroom or doing those things. The church has to have funds to work. And so he says, is it any small thing if God has blessed you spiritually that you should also give of your carnal things? Now, so that's 1 Corinthians 9. Here in Romans, he uses the same argument, if you will, to say that we should also support our brothers and sisters in other places. There's a time when we uh, maybe we get word uh, uh, that uh, somebody's had, got a problem in Africa or maybe somebody's got a problem at a church in another part of the state of Alabama. Or like a few years ago, uh, the, when uh, Hurricane Katrina hit, hit down on the Gulf Coast, uh, and I have, have seen this written down, uh, people began to send money into various uh, people, and I could name some of the people that some of the preachers and churches that the money was funneled into, and they began to go down and try to help the brothers and the sisters down there in that area that had been struck. And during the course of that, some two hundred and fifty thousand dollars were raised, right, 
And you know what they did? Some of the churches down there in that area that had been destroyed by the hurricane, they came together. Now they've got a church down there called Unity Church, and it's built uh, down there just north of Pascagoula, uh, new building and so forth, funded by those that saw a need for help in that area Due to, the, due to the hurricane. So, you know, a lot of times we, we can do more than we think can be done by, by working together and laying together, seeing the need and supporting the need. All right. So Paul says, It hath pleased them verily that their debtors they are, for if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. When therefore I have performed this... When I've gotten through carrying the stuff from Macedonia and Achaia down to Jerusalem and working with them, he says, when I therefore have performed this and have sealed them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. <clears throat> and so he's letting them know my expectation is to come to you and I'm going to come to you, but then I'm going to go on into Spain as well. And he says, talks about this being, he says, uh, when I have therefore performed this and have sealed to them this fruit. If you turn over, I think, into the Philippian letter, and I believe it's in the fourth chapter, he talks about how the Philippian church, I guess Brother Derek's going to get to that as he preaches through uh, the things in Philippians, but he talks about how the Philippian church above all the churches, and you think about the Philippian church at its starting point of the, the jailer, the Philippian jailer and Lydia, the seller of purple, and how Paul was sent over there to Macedonia by the Holy Spirit to preach to those people. And those people had a special love for Paul. And he says, and he says in one occasion that they only, the church at Philippi, had sent things to Paul's needs in various places where he had gone to preach. And even when he was in Rome and in, in, under house arrest, they had sent again to his needs. And he says, you know what? And I'm, I'm paraphrasing this portion over there in Philippians. But he says, he said, this was a sweet-smelling savor to the Lord. It was like incense going up into the nostrils of the Lord. What was, what was that incense of, and that sweet-smelling savor going up into the nostrils of God? Their giving to Paul. Them supporting Paul and his labors was sweet to God. And so here Paul, uh, Paul kind of alludes back to that same thing. He says, Wherefore, when, uh, when, there, when therefore I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, Paul was going to do something to, that was going to be a blessing to the church, churches of Macedonia and Achaia by taking what they had given to Jerusalem to be. And he says, this is going to be a fruit to God for their labors and their work. <clears throat> and he says, I will come by you into Spain and I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Paul was speaking, you know, you say, well, was Paul bragging? No, I think Paul was, was kind of stating what he had seen. When you do what God has called you to do, God will bless you. And he says, uh, and so there, look, listen to what he says now. He says, now I beseech you. Here we're back to that same, uh, I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Here he says, I beseech you, I beg you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. I'm begging you, brethren. I'm fixing to take a, a journey to Jerusalem. And, and listen to what he says, part of what he says here about this. And I'm and you strive together. That doesn't mean that they're to, to uh, wrestle with each other. 
He's talking about wrestling in, in the serious prayer. You know, uh, uh, to, to God for, for Paul's sake, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea. You know, Paul was concerned. Paul knew that there were some people back in, in the Jerusalem, Judea area that didn't think too well of Paul. Paul had abandoned the Jewish uh, religion, followed after Christ, uh, had now been greatly blessed of God, and there were those that were looking to do harm to Paul if he came back to that area. And Paul says, you know what? Paul, you know, it's kind of interesting because we hear this all the time about uh, Paul didn't ask to be delivered to people that didn't believe so he could preach to them. He says, pray that I might be delivered from the unbelievers that are in Judea. Uh, so he says, For I beseech you, brethren, the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, for the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted by the saints. You know what? The church in Jerusalem had some problems with Paul too because Paul had been one of the ones that persecuted them in the past. Now he's going back to Jerusalem. He says, not only do I want to be delivered from them that don't believe, but I want you praying that they will accept the gifts that I bring to them at Jerusalem for the saints, that I may come to you. Here's that word again. That I may come unto you with joy by the will of God and that you, and may with you be refreshed. Now to the God of peace, now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. So Paul kind of brings a close to the letter here in a sense of the formal part of the letter that he was writing to the church at Rome. But chapter 16 is interesting. And we'll, and we'll begin to get into that a little bit uh, next, next week because Paul begins to address for us today, and I'll just, I'll just throw this out real quickly for you to be thinking about over the next few weeks. Brother Derek will be bringing a message next Sunday. Uh, but but if, we think, if we think about over the next few weeks, I want you to think about Paul starts out this 16th chapter by commending to them his sister Phoebe and that, they, that the church at Rome helped her with her business. Uh, that as she as she came to Rome, a lot of people today read the writings of the Apostle Paul and think Paul was some kind of male chauvinist of some kind. And I think I can show you as we begin to go into the things of the preaching of the 16th chapter, Paul was far from it. Paul was a man who was commending to them his dear sister and the role that normal uh, Jewish men and and Jewish custom and and no doubt Roman custom put on women in, in that day and time. Paul was far from all of that, my friends. And so we'll begin to take a look at that. And I want you to, th to think about this as we come together here at the church being unified in our prayers for one another and for the preaching of God's Word. Uh, we, were, we were noting this week, and this uh, I'll bring this to a close. You know, the, they, they, they announced in the paper this week uh, that over here beside the uh, high school, they're going to build a, a new subdivision. Uh, should be about a hundred houses in there, uh, and so uh, we've got an opportunity to to uh, get out and share with what will be our new neighbors, and let them know that we would love to have them come and worship God together here with us. And so, I I want to I want to begin preparing you. We've got work to do, uh, and uh, and we need to be thinking about how we share the gospel with friends and neighbors and loved ones 
and that they might enjoy the same things that we enjoy here together with Christ. May God bless you uh, in this coming week uh, and give you joy and peace in believing. May God bless you is our prayer.